0: Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Romans chapter one, Romans chapter one, as we continue our study through the book of Romans, as we are speedily making our way through this book and we should be done in three, four or five years. So again, I'll remind you that as we look at this text, that verses one to seven is all one sentence. And we said that Paul would not get a very good grade in English because he does a lot of run on sentences, but in Greek it's okay. And so Paul gives us a long sentence here. So let us read the word of God this morning. Listen as Paul writes under the superintendence of the Holy Spirit. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus called as an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who is declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There ends the reading of God's word this morning. Let us go to the Lord in prayer before we go to the word of God this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word And we thank you for revealing it to us so that we might know you and we might know how to be rightly related to you. And so we thank you for the book of Romans that really lays out the gospel for us and its effects on our lives. And so I pray this morning that again, as we study your word, that your Holy Spirit would teach us, convince us of the truths that are there and then transform us into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. I pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen. Well, we live really in an evolutionary view of mankind. In fact, man is said to be developing. Man is said to be smarter than he's ever been. And in fact, many biblical scholars would even tell you that we are now in a better place to understand scripture than anyone in history because we're just smarter. We've got more resources. We're able to do that. And so as as it comes to mankind and even religion, now we have those telling us, actually, you know what? We've got new ideas, we've got new perspectives on Paul, we've got new ideas on how scripture, what scripture really is, it's not what you once thought it was. And so there's a. There's this idea that something new and novel is good. And in fact, this is often what we see on television and cult leaders. They have discovered something that no one else has ever seen before. And though the church has struggled along for 2000 years, God revealed something new. And in many ways, you're reminded of Paul's on Mars Hill, where he says now, and the Athenians and the strangers visiting there." used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing what? Something new. Something new. And so certainly, as Paul comes to give the gospel, and as he is coming to lay this out, there has been an accusation maybe that has been made that Paul is bringing something new. And so Paul is going to need to defend the idea that actually what he is bringing is not new that this is not something that he's made up but rather that this is something old now again i just want be as we get to our text this morning which is going to be simply verse two because we don't want to go too fast we want to recognize the flow of this passage and so we want to recognize that in verses one to seventeen really is paul's introduction to this book and so in verses one to seven, Paul really gives a greeting and he introduces himself. And in that introduction, he really gives us a picture of why we should understand and to read this book. Verses eight to 15, he gives a thanksgiving a prayer for the Romans. And then in that third section in verses 16 to 17, we really have the formal state of the, bit of the book's theme, which is the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God, what unto salvation. And so he will unpack that whole idea through the rest of this book. And even in verses two to five, he will give us a thumbnail sketch of the gospel. And so he will use that word seven times here in these early verses, because Paul is about the gospel. Now, we said last time that Paul is in the midst of giving us reasons why you should read the book of Romans. And the first one he simply gave was because he wrote it. Paul wrote it. This is why you should read the book. And we said that the Old Testament, the books that were written there weren't really books, they were scrolls. And so in order for you to know who was writing it, you would have to open up the scroll. And of course, the most important aspect of reading a letter is you want to know who it's from, right? And we said that there's a difference between your tax bill and a, a, a letter from your friend. You like, you're excited about the letter for your friend. And so as they opened that scroll, they would have seen the name Paul first. And so we know that Paul simply, we look at his identity and who he was. And certainly they would have known who he was. They would have known that he was the one who once persecuted the church, a Pharisee of Pharisees who now was what? Preaching the gospel. And then we looked further that Paul, not just at his identity, but we looked at his credentials. He says, called as an apostle, I mean, he said, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. We saw that he was a man who was completely under the will of his master. So whatever he came with, whatever he wrote here was not his agenda. It was God's agenda. And therefore we needed to listen We said he came not just as a bondservant, but he was called as apostle. God set him apart for a specific task. And he came as an official representative of God. And what he was about to give, he came with the authority of God. And in that, he came as an apostle. And his mission was to he was set apart for the gospel of God. In other words, this is what his life was committed to. He now lived it. It was now part of who he was. And now he was the one who would be the apostle to the Gentiles to go forth and to be a missionary and to give the gospel. And we said that this gospel was the what? The gospel of God sourced in God. And really, this is, leads us to our, <clears throat> our second reason why we should study the book of Romans. And that's simply because it's about the gospel. It's about the gospel and any believer would, need, would want to know about the gospel. They want to make sure they have the gospel right, and they need to know it to tell others, and they need to know it in order to live it out. And so there should be right away an understanding for us that we need to what know what this book says. And so Paul begins really and maybe in verse one where he starts to introduce the gospel, he says it's the gospel of God. He introduces really the theme of the book and he says this gospel here. This is the good news from God. This is the saving good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again. And he says this is God's good news and it is the gospel is what sourced in God. It comes from God. This is not Paul's idea. This is God's idea because the whole plan was God's. God executed it historically. And so Paul says, I am just simply witnessing to that. Now, as we come to to verse two, then Paul really continues on with the idea of the gospel. And it is important to read Romans because of the gospel. And so he says in our text this morning, We'll, well, we'll take the end of verse two. The gospel of God, which He promised beforehand through His prophets in the holy Scriptures, and so Paul is claiming that the gospel that He brought, the gospel that sourced in God, and the, and the gospel He's about to bring, has continuity with the Old Testament. It's not a novelty. It's not new. It's not something that has just dropped out of the sky. It didn't come from Paul's own inspiration but it is something that he is simply building upon and it was something that was promised before. Now you might say well why, why do you think Paul needs to do that and, and really I just want to answer four questions this morning because we don't really have an exegetical outline of this, of, this, uh, of this verse but he's certainly going to ask the first question is simply this, why does Paul need to defend this point? Why, why, what, what's the, why does he need to actually defend the fact that this is in scripture? Second of all, we'll simply see who Paul says brings it, where they, where they actually bring the message, then ultimately we're going to look at the Old Testament to see that it is truly there. And so Paul says, why do I need to do this point? Well, Paul, if you recall, as he was ministering, was often attacked exactly on this point. If we look at Acts chapter 18, Paul is in Jerusalem, and the, the Jews rise up against him, and they say, this man persuades men to worship God contrary to, to the law, I mean, this is in Corinth. I think. so he says they 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 what? Paul is saying a gospel that is against God and the law. The Jews thought that Paul was teaching a different gospel that he was adding to Scripture that he was going contrary that to what they knew to be already revealed. The Jews had the Old Testament. They had the full testament at this point. They had had it for 400 years and they were saying Paul is going against it. In fact, in Acts chapter 21, Paul is in Jerusalem at that time and he goes to the temple and they think that Paul has taken with him some Gentiles and taken them into the Jewish court. And in Acts chapter 21, They rise up against him and they cry out, men of Israel come to our aid. This man who preaches all men everywhere to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place and besides he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled the holy place. Paul is bringing something new. Paul is bringing something novel and it's against everything that we know that God's been has revealed before. In Acts chapter 24. Again, Paul, verse 25. They're accusing Paul again. He says, For we have found this, we have found this man a real pest and a fellow who stirs up dissension. Now listen to this. Among all the Jews throughout the world. No, no exaggeration there, no hyperbola. He has he is disturbing the Jews everywhere, a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And again, there is this accusation that Paul is what? Bringing something new. That he is not building on the Old Testament, but that he has just made up some new religion. Well, it might surprise you that Paul actually wasn't the only one who was accused of that if we remember our Lord Jesus Christ when He came, He didn't connect with the theological schools of the day. He wasn't one that connected with the the leadership. He didn't identify with the religious leaders and their devotion to the law and their devotion to their rituals. In fact, He actually denied a lot of the theology of the day and you can hear the accusations that were coming against him after all is he really speaking for God I mean doesn't he say that he doesn't say what the Pharisees say and after all they are the religious elite of our country he doesn't identify with the Jewish establishment he doesn't do what Pharisees do if he's truly a man of God, wouldn't he surely look like the others? His disciples, well, you know a person by their disciples, right? They don't fast, right? They don't even wash their hands all the time. He doesn't, he doesn't respect the Sabbath. He's healing on the Sabbath. He's doing works on the Sabbath. He doesn't even teach what we teach. In fact, Jesus, remember on the the Mount of Olives, on the Sermon on the Mount? He says, you have heard it said by them of old, but I say unto you. And then he gave different instructions. This man is out of control. He is teaching something new. I mean, he's contradicting everything that we know to be true. And he said it over and over again. You have heard it, but I say, you have heard it, but I say. But he wasn't contradicting the Old Testament. He was simply contradicting what? The teachings of the Jews. And they had what? Totally misunderstood who he was. They totally misunderstood what God was doing. So did Jesus come to disconnect from the old? Did he come and unhitch from the New Testament? (laughs) <laughs> Sound familiar? So did he just unhitch from the Old Testament? I mean, did he just say, hey, jettison it? I've got something new. Well, what did Jesus say? Matthew five seventeen. Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have come but to what? Fulfill. He continues on and he says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a jot, not one little tiny mark, or one tiny tittle shall in any way pass from the law till it is all fulfilled. Right? He's talking about the smallest little marks in the Hebrew alphabet. And he says, Not one single one of them will ultimately pass away until what all has been fulfilled. I haven't come to do away with it. I have come to fulfill it. And so you can see that there are accusations against this new, the new way, against this new Christianity, against this new gospel. And so Paul says, I wanna make it clear right from the very beginning as we study this, we study that what I'm about to give you isn't new. What I'm about to give you isn't novel. It was actually, he says, promised beforehand it was promised beforehand god promised that he would accomplish the events of the gospel before those events ever took place and and this is one of the ways that we know that the gospel is true this is not some new novel teaching where some jewish people woke up in the first century and decided to revolutionize the world. These were men who just were actually understanding that God had promised this long before and what was taking place was simply a fulfillment of what had been promised. And so he says this was promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. So what does the word prophet refer to here? What what is a prophet? By prophets in this context Paul means all the men who wrote the Old Testament. All those who were used by God to write it. The Jews used to divide scripture into the law and prophets. And basically, they divided it into two general categories. some would single out the writings, the Grapha, but basically it's the law and the prophets, and the prophets would encompass everything but the law, and the law was written by whom Moses and of course, the Bible calls Moses what a prophet so any way you slice it, it's talking about the Old Testament, the whole Old Testament. And that's what he's saying. The gospel was promised by the Old Testament writers. Now, notice this. He says his prophets. He doesn't just say prophets or some sort, somebody's prophets. He says his prophets. In other words, they spoke God's words. They spoke direct divine revelation from God. In other words, when they spoke, God spoke. These men were not having their own agenda. But these men recorded the promise, the promise that God would save. In fact, Hebrews 1 says, God spoke long ago, to the fathers through the prophets. God promised through the prophets the gospel. Now where did they promise this? Do we have a record of this? Who where do they where did they where does Paul say they recorded it? Well he says notice in verse two he promised beforehand through his prophets what? In the Holy Scriptures the holy writings, the scriptures are holy. And again, the emphasis here when we could really translate this in holy scriptures. In other words, he's emphasizing the quality of these writings. They are they are sacred by the work of the Holy Spirit. They are holy. They are not authored by men. They are not designed They do not reflect men's thinking. They are holy, set apart, divine, unique, righteous, godly, holy scripture. The very words of God. And so it was crystal clear that when he said in the, in the writings, they understood exactly what he was talking about. He was talking about the Old Testament. Now, they didn't call it the Old Testament, of course. They called it the Hebrew scripture but they knew exactly what he was right talking about the Jewish Canon, the books that were part of their scripture. And so he says, this is where they actually recorded it. They did it in the Hebrew Canon. This is where it is. And and it reminds you really of the words of Timothy, Paul to Timothy, right? Where he says this, you, however, continue in the things you learned and become convinced of knowing from where you have learned them and that from childhood you have known what? The sacred writings which are able to give the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And he claims that what? You can get saved through the Old Testament. That's what he's saying. He's saying it was, it was sufficient for salvation. And so Paul says, these are the sacred writings I'm talking about. This is where they wrote these ideas. It's interesting to see how Jesus speaks of the Old Testament. He said in John 5.36, search the scriptures. And then he says this, for they are what? Which speak of what me? Jesus says the Old Testament speaks about me. Reminded of Jesus on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter twenty four. Jesus is walking with the two disciples and they don't recognize him. Right, they're 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 walking along the road and they're having a conversation. And he says to them, Oh, foolish men slow of heart to believe all that what the prophets have spoken. They're speaking about Jesus Christ. They don't know what's going on. And he says, how foolish are you? In other words, you don't believe what the prophets have spoken. Didn't you read the Old Testament? You should. You guys are familiar with it. Didn't you understand it? Was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them concerning himself in all scripture. Now, we actually have a recording of that. No, we don't. We would have loved to have that, right? We would have had the inspired, but we don't. But but Jesus began to teach them. And then in verse 44 at a different time, he said to them, these are my words, which I have spoken to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me and the law and Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then they opened their minds to understand scripture. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah would suffer and rise again from the dead and that the repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus says, the Old Testament speaks about me. I know that it speaks about me. Well, the question then becomes, where does that happen? Where does that take place? Where where, where does where's the proof? Where's the, where's the idea that the Old Testament actually spoke, about the gospel and about Jesus Christ. Well, we we can begin and maybe we should just take our bibles and we're going to be here till Thursday. But it's good. Genesis chapter 3 beginning at verse 15. I just want to run through some scriptures, and then we're actually going to go through, as we go, we're going to go through some New Testament passages, and we're going to see how Peter and Paul use the Old Testament in their defense of the gospel. This is as God is pronouncing his curses after the fall, He says in Genesis 3.15, as he is speaking to the woman, I will put enmity between you and the woman, as he speaks the sermon, and between your seed and her seed, he will bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, right away, we want to understand that Adam and Eve did not say, oh, that's Jesus, right? They didn't know anything, but there was a promise that there would be someone who would defeat Satan, that there would be a descendant that would come from Eve who would ultimately conquer Satan in sin. And so we, we call this really the first gospel that is preached in Scripture, that there would be a descendant that would come. And in fact, later on, when one of her sons is born, Eve understands that maybe this is the deliverer, but it's not. As we continue on, if you flip over to Genesis chapter 12, God is now continuing with that saving program. And as he makes a covenant with Abraham, he now calls out Abraham, and, and he, his descendants will be a, a, a great nation, and they will be set apart for him. He says in Genesis 12, And I will bless those who bless you, and, and, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. There's going to be a blessing that comes out of you that will ultimately bless all the nations. This is what's going to take place. So God, who had promised the deliverer, now says actually that deliverer and that blessing is going to come through Abraham. Now it's interesting because this is a verse that I don't think I ever saw before, but if we turn over to Deuteronomy. Actually, I missed Genesis 22. Why don't we go back to, keep your finger in Deuteronomy. Go to Genesis 22. Now, I don't we don't normally do a sword drill here, but today I thought it would be. I want us to read these. I want us to to see them for ourselves. Genesis 22 verses 18. And again, speaking to Abraham, he says in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. All right. So there's this call. And again, this is quoted in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, where Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. The scripture verse eight, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be what? Blessed in you. And so there is this this call for blessing that takes place through the seed of Abraham. And so there is that understanding that there is some, some blessing coming in the future. Deuteronomy 18, 15. Moses says, the Lord, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall what? Listen to him. In other words, what did Moses do? He delivered Israel out of Egypt. And he says, God is going to raise up a what? A prophet in the future. And you what? Like me. And you what? What? You must listen. So there's this, again, a pointing to a deliverer that is coming. If we were to go to the Psalms, there's, there are many Psalms that also speak of that deli- of, of the Messiah. If we look at Psalm 22, and I'm going to go through these ones quickly, we're familiar with this. My God, my God, why have you what? Forsaken me. And in that Psalm, it's clear that he is, that that we're going beyond just David. Psalm 69, 8. He's called an alien son and it's quoted in Matthew 12. 69, 9. For your zeal for your house has consumed me. Does that sound familiar? Jesus cleaning the temple. Psalm 69, 21. Give me gall for my... For my thirst, I got what? Vinegar. Again, a reference to Christ on the cross. He says in verse 26 of Psalm 69, persecuted whom you have smitten. And again, Isaiah 53 speaks of him who is smitten. And so we start to see that there are these references to someone who is coming someone who is going to deliver them we have a reference in micah but as for you bethlehem too little among the clans of judah from you one will go forth for me to be a ruler in what israel there's going to be a ruler that comes out of israel that will out of bethlehem who will rule israel And again, a reference to Christ to come. He will be the one to rule. Now, this is the the reference that it would seem almost impossible to miss, and yet the Jews misunderstood Isaiah 53. It's one that we're very familiar with. Isaiah 53, Behold, my servant will prosper, and he will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many of you were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any other man, and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and whom has the arm of the Lord revealed? For he grew up before them like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, and a a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. By his scourging, we were healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all, what? To fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that was led to slaughter and like a sheep that was silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away and for his generation who considered that he was cut out of the land of the living for transgressions of my people to whom the stroke was due. And again, here are, here are some, we know these things are Predictions that came true. He gave, his grave was assigned with the wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render him as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. Again, resurrection, and he will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper his hand. As a result of his anguish, he will see it and be satisfied. But by knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Again, we have uh, Christ satisfying God's wrath. Substitutionary atonement. Therefore, I will lot him a portion with the great and he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sins of many and interceded for the transgressors. And so we start to see that there, there's there's a clear passage speaking that the Messiah would be one who came, who died, who would pay the price for sin, who would be smitten by God, who would be afflicted by men, that he would die, that he would be raised again. We have predictions even about his burial and in this passage and so jesus says listen look the gospel we're bringing to you and what you're seeing and what's being declared to you is not new it was something that was foretold zachariah says in the future and and, in zachariah 12.10, 12.10, I will pour out on the house of David and in the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication so that they will look on me, whom they have what? Pierced. Jesus says, I was pierced. Put your hand in my side. Zechariah 13.7, strike the shepherd that the sheep may be what? Scattered. And I will turn my hand against the little ones. And so again, another another picture of Christ's disciples deserting him in Christ. This is predicted. All of these events that are taking place. Jeremiah 23, 5 speaks of Jesus. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will rise up from David, a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. 23, six, in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell in security. And this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous. And again, there is a the promises to David that a descendant would be on the throne forever. First Chronicles eleven seventeen eleven. And so this is just a, a brief survey of the passages that speak of the Messiah. There are over 300 predictions of Christ in the Old Testament and about what will happen. And so Paul is saying, listen, the Old Testament is absolutely filled with this idea. It's not something new. It's not something novel. Rather, it is something that has been predicted for a very long time. <clears throat> so Paul says the old in the Old Testament, God promised that these events contained in the gospel were coming. And so, in fact, Jesus and the apostles used the Hebrew text in order to what? Defend what they said. Remember Jesus in Luke Chapter four? We turn over there to Luke Chapter four. Verse eighteen. Jesus of Nazareth, verse 16, came and where he had been brought up, as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and he opened the book and he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recover the sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Verse 20, and he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Right? Jesus says, this was testified about me. This, this is just what, what's happening here is not new. My ministry, what I am doing here is not something that just fell out of the sky. This was predicted. Well, we certainly know that in, in the book of Acts, there was defense and the use of the Old Testament for what was taking place. We remember Peter at Pentecost if we go to Acts chapter 2. Peter is giving really the, the first New Testament sermon in the church here. And they're going, these men are drunk. Look, they're speaking in tongues. Oh, they're just drunk. And Paul, what, what, is, what, is, what does Peter do? He turns to the Old Testament. He doesn't just say, hey, no, this isn't, and we try to make a defense. He turns to the living, breathing word of God, and he says, he goes to Joel, and he says, this is what was spoken through the, what, the prophet Joel. And then through verses 17 to 21, he what? He quotes the book of Joel, and he says, this was predicted. God said that he would put his spirit upon you. God said that if you believed, you would be saved. This is an understanding of the gospel. This isn't something new. This is something unexpected. This was predicted. And so he continues on and he goes on and and he, and he says, he speaks about the resurrection, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it is impossible for him to be held in his power. For David says of him, now he appeals to David and he, and he says, I saw, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue ex- exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will be in hope because you will not abandon my soul to Hades nor allow my Holy One to go under decay. You have made known to me the way of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And again, he quotes Psalm 168 to 11. He says, here, this is what's taking place. This was predicted. This isn't something new. This isn't something Novel. He goes down to verse 30. And so he became a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne. A promise to David that there would be a descendant that sit on his throne. And he again peels to Psalm 132.11 verses 34 and 35. For David, who is ascended into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And who does he appeal to that resurrection to? Psalm 118. These are all speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ. We go over to chapter three. Verse 25. If you who are sons of if you who are sons of the prophet and of the covenant, which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed for you. First, God raised his servant and sent him and blessed you by turning one of you from your wicked ways. So he says again, this is this is what what's taking place. This is what this is what has been prophesied this is what was said in the old testament back to verse 18 but the things which god announced beforehand by the mouth of his prophets that his christ would suffer he has what fulfilled this has already been spoken of this isn't new well peter has his say then paul in Acts chapter 17, in his ministry in Thessalonica. Acts chapter 17, verse two. Paul didn't say, hey, I had a vision on the road to Damascus. I got fresh bread, new revelation, everything that I'm about to tell you, I received from the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing, it has nothing, it's completely different than what was before. God is a new program. Is that what he said? 17.2. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that Christ had to suffer, rise again from the dead, saying that Jesus, this Jesus who I proclaiming to you is what? The Christ. He is the promised Messiah to come. It's in the Old Testament. Here it is. I'm not making it up. He's fulfilling what he said he would do. And again, Paul before Agrippa in in, in Acts 26. We just flip over to Acts 26, verse 22. He says... Acts 26, verse 22. He says that Christ was to suffer and by reason of his resurrection from the dead that he would be first to proclaim life both to the Jews and to the Gentiles, beginning back in verse 22. So having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to the small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. Moses and the prophets said this. I'm not, I'm not giving you a new gospel. I'm not going off in a direction. I'm explaining to you that what Jesus Christ did in, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, all of that in his birth, where he lived, all of that was predicted. It's not new. What you now have is the full revelation of all the details, but it was already said to take place. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, as he gives really the core of the gospel, what does he say? I delivered to you what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. What? According to the scriptures. Remember, Paul is speaking about what? When he says scriptures, He's not thinking New Testament. He's thinking what Old Testament. He, they're still in the midst of writing the New Testament. Well, What about Paul in Romans? Paul in Romans does exactly the same thing. Paul does exactly the thing. Same thing we turn to Romans chapter one, verse 17. As he gives the, the theme of the book and as he, as he lays out this book, he says this, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. In other words, he says, he, he quotes Habakkuk 2.4. Paul doesn't say, hey, you're supposed to live, the righteous man shall live by faith alone. No, he doesn't say, and and here's why. He quotes an Old Testament passage to make sure that you know that he's not making anything up, that he's actually coming from the authority of the word of God. Chapter 3, you want to know about some hard things to say about humanity? Look at verses 10 to 18. He strings a bunch of quotes together here in order to what? Make the point. Humanity is depraved. Humanity is not good. Humanity is not seeking God. Humanity has gone astray. He paints a bleak picture of humanity and he says, I didn't make it up. I'm just simply telling you what the Old Testament prophets said as they spoke for God. You get to 21, and what does he say? But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifest, being witnessed by what? The law and the prophets. This gospel is not new. It's kind of interesting. You, you just I mean, you just keep going. Romans chapter 4, verse 3. He says this. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul wants to defend justification by faith alone. And he, where does he go for an example? Abraham, back to Genesis 15. Right, then God believed. Then he believed God, the Lord and it was reckoned to him as what? Righteousness. We go down to verses 7 and 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is a man whose sin is not will not be taken into account. How can you be justified by for your sin? Right? He goes to the Old Testament. He quotes David, Psalm 32 2. He defends the gospel from the what? The Old Testament. And he says, I am not bringing anything new. I want you to li- the, the point here and listen carefully. The New Testament gospel is not just consistent with the Old Testament. It is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Paul didn't fabricate it. Paul didn't make it up. It wasn't invented or created by men. Instead, God promised it. He said in the Old Testament, this would happen. Christianity as such is not an appendage or some crude addition to Judaism. It is actually the fulfillment of God's intent from the Old Testament. It is the fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures. And so he announces the good news. It's a message that he has announced in his book. And Paul will now give that to us as we go through. So Paul says, listen here, this gospel has been given to us. It is which, which was promised which he, God, promised beforehand through his prophets in what? The Holy Scriptures. And he says, I want you to recognize that this gospel is part of God's eternal plan. It's not an afterthought. It was planned from the very beginning. In fact, Ephesians 1.11 says, God works all things after the counsel what? of his own will. Paul says it in, again in Ephesians 3.11. This was according with the purpose of the ages which he carried out in Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, this was what God had intended. And he says, what the gospel that Paul's about to give you was planned by God, it was given by God. He was going to work through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he had announced it long ago. So the gospel comes from God. The gospel is consistent with and is confirmed by the Old Testament scriptures. We we need not doubt it. We need not think that it's novel and new. It is grounded from Genesis to Revelation. The gospel is right and true and can be trusted. And therefore, let's study Romans. Let's know more about the gospel because we know it's not new and novel. It was planned from eternity past. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for its promises. We thank you that you have given us your whole word and that we can read these passages and we can understand them with your Holy Spirit. And that we can know that the gospel is not the gospel that we know and the, and the Christianity that we know is not some new change in God's plan, but his eternal decree and will, and so that we can trust it. And so I pray that we would believe it, that we would trust it, and that we would live it. Please convince us of its truth, I pray in your name. Amen.